0: all right good morning it's good to see each one of you here this morning let's go ahead and and get started Um, we have a couple of announcements to make this morning I would encourage you to to, to get a bulletin Uh, one is with Thanksgiving this week obviously we we won't have any uh, Wednesday night activities this this Wednesday night so if you come here you'll you'll be by yourself Uh, but also this evening we have Crossroads uh the women's shelter and then we also have our one of our community groups meeting. Uh so if if you don't have anything going on tonight that'd be a great ministry for you to attend and I think Daniel's going to talk more about that in here in a few minutes. So make sure you grab a bulletin and uh Jared, you go ahead and come this morning and begin with our scripture reading.
1: Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I want us to read together from uh Matthew chapter 25, so Please turn with me to Matthew 25, we'll start with verse 31, kind of give you a little context of what I'm thinking about when I come to this text. Um, We're reaching the holiday season, we've talked about several opportunities to give, Uh, we've got Crossroads, the women's ministry, we've got Lighthouse, the recovery ministry down in Owensboro, Um, we have our missionaries, our typical December uh, missionaries. offerings that we're going to be taking up and things like that. And, and I know that's overwhelming. I, I, I totally understand that that sounds overwhelming to some of us when we hear all these different things and we're thinking buying presents and, you know, all these different things. And I'm not going to try to help you answer that question. I just want us to see from the text here that we do still have obligation to, to the needs of people around us. And we, we have to prioritize that somehow, some way. And since that's kind of what we're pushing in the moment, I just want us to, to see that there is a biblical warrant for these things. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles, we'll begin there in Matthew 25, starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate from... Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but they're righteous into eternal life. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, as we gather here this morning, the point of the text is not to be a bludgeon of fear. It's to be just a simple statement of truth, that we have an obligation to, from the prophets on down to Jesus, to love justice, to seek that which is good, God, to, to rescue those who are perishing, to minister to those who are in need. And Jesus says here that upon his return to judge the world, the, the nations, when he separates people, one of the clear indicators of whether we are righteous or whether we are unrighteous is how we live our lives. Now, we understand from this, God, that we're not saved by doing good deeds, but our salvation leads to good deeds. And so, therefore, we have a need, God, to be busy about the work of ministry as Christ was. He visited those who were sick. Lord, he healed those who were sick, and he he gave food to those who were hungry. He refreshed those who were thirsty. And if we are Christians, if we are a church that takes Uh, believing the scriptures seriously and obedience to christ seriously then we will also be a church who takes ministry to the world seriously spiritual needs but also physical needs and so god we see in this text a beautiful encouragement an invitation a reminder however we need to see it whatever word we need to describe it god is very clear that there is a obligation upon the church to do these things to the world around it and to do them in love and obedience and so father it's not compulsion i'm not asking now in guilt church give 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 i'm saying out of love and commitment to christ who will refill all that we give away give 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 in obedience and love and adoration and devotion to our lord our king let's be as he is and give to these needs And so, Father, I pray that you would use this, God, again, not as a a coercive bludgeon, God, not as a manipulation tool, but as an invitation that you would use it, God, and and apply your spirit to our conscience and help us to be molded and transformed into a pleasing image, a godly image, a Christ-like image, because John does tell us that when he returns, we will be like him. And God, we see a picture here in Matthew of what like Christ looks like and it is to have mercy ministry, and we want to be a church that that does that. God, we also would just ask and pray for the blessing of your spirit on, on the words that we sing, God. That you would awaken the attitude of our heart and the focus of our mind, God, to be upon Christ, not upon ourselves, not upon our, our stomachs, God, but that we would give some sacred worship to Christ this morning and that you would bless that and that you would bless the word as it's preached and that you would open up the hearts of your people to be generous when, when we take up our tithes and offerings and we give you glory and honor and praise for this in Christ's name, amen.
0: All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning and... Uh... would turn to the book of ephesians once more ephesians chapter four good news we're we're moving on uh, but we're not moving too far Uh, we're just going to verse 25 today and uh we believe here at union that that the word of god is the power of god to salvation we we believe that the word of god is is what we need to be sanctified and to grow in our faith and really one of the best things that we do is, is just a slow, like rain, you know, when you, when you want your crops to grow, you want a slow, steady rain. And that's what we want to do. There's a time and a place to, to just run through a book of the Bible or to hit certain topics. But one of the, the best things that we can do for all of us in, in terms of our Christian growth is a slow, steady walk through books of the Bible to see the whole counsel of God, to see everything that he has for us, and that's what we want to do this morning. In Ephesians four twenty-five, it says, "Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another." As we've been talking about this, this verse really is an ext- extension. Uh, or an application of the, the theology that Paul has been laying out. He's been laying out this truth that in the Christian life, we are to grow. And part of that growth process really involves three different components. One is putting off the old self, the old man, the old you, kind of dying to that identity and secondly, we talked about having our, our minds renewed or made new. We, we allow our minds and our thoughts and the patterns of our thinking to be shaped by the word of God. And then the third component, I, I, I want to hesitate and not say step because they're not like sequential steps, but the third component is uh, putting on the new self. And we looked at that last week, putting on Christ. I just want to remind us again, as I was reading this week in my quiet time, I was in 2 Thessalonians and uh, a couple different times, verses jumped out that really just reiterated to me that the Christian life is not all about just getting forgiveness of your sins and then kind of riding out your time here on earth. The, the Christian life is supposed to be about growing in holiness. God expects that of us. That's, that should be a, a, an integral part of what's going on in our life. So 2 Thessalonians 1.3 says, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians there and he's giving thanks. He said, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Why is it that Paul was giving thanks for the Thessalonians? Because he says this, your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So he's saying, I'm thankful for you, Thessalonians. The reason I give thanks to God for you all the time is because I see that your faith is growing. He saw a faith that, was growing a, a faith that is real a faith that is alive is a faith that's growing in another place in chapter two of second Thessalonians he says this but we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the Lord because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved so we're thankful that God chose to save you but then he says this he saved you through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth so God didn't just save you by simply, you know, believing in Christ and then boom, you're done. No, the salvation, uh, salvation is that immediate event, but it's also a process of sanctification. It's a process of growing in holiness. And so uh, we just want to reiterate that and come back to it again and again and again. And we see this process or, or, or these components of that growth, putting off the old self, renewing your mind and putting on the new self. And uh, as we look this morning, what what we see in verse twenty five is Paul just kind of taking that truth, and he's saying, "Okay, now let me let me show you how this works. Let, let me show you how this works." Up here, so far, it's kind of been up here in the 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 uh, ethereal. It's been up here in sort of just the, you know, I'm going to explain what what happens. But now let me show you in a practical, kind of everyday sense what this looks like. And the first thing that he deals with is is truth and falsehood, and so we kind of Pointed or alluded to this last week but you see the the three components there therefore having put away falsehood having put away that's that same word to put off to put away like you take off a garment you as christians he's saying this morning you have put off and you need to continue to put off falsehood and then he says let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor so there's the there's the positive there's the negative put it off here's the positive you need to Put it on. And then he gives us a reason uh, to kind of help us understand why this needs to happen. And this is part of why we uh, need to have our minds renewed. We need to understand what the truth is so that that truth will compel us to do what we ought to do. So then he gives us a, a reason for this is why you need to put away falsehood and put on the truth for we are members one of another. So sort of the big idea this morning. So we look to this te- text is that as new creations in Christ, we must put away all falsehood, every, every form of false speech or action, and we need to put on Christ who is the truth because our corporate growth depends on it. So we're going to look at each one of those elements. First, put away falsehood. Now, truth and falsehood is actually a theme that's been running. if you if you've been paying attention and following along, you, you know that several times Paul has kind of uh, alluded to things that were true and he's alluded to to falsehood. Uh, th- this is critical in in the change process and that is because the old life was one that in every way was built upon falsehood. It was built upon deceit. So you remember that. look back to verse 24. When Paul described the old life, listen to what he says in verse 4, uh, 24, or rather 22, I'm sorry, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through what? Through deceitful desires. So your, your old life, the life that you need to be putting off is a life that is built upon the foundation of deceit and falsehood. And then the new life that we are to put on in verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness that comes from the truth. And in my version, it says in true righteousness and holiness, but a a very literal translation would be righteousness and, and holiness that comes from the truth. Righteousness and holiness in our lives is the result of and is built on the foundation of truth. So your old life that you are putting off was built on deceitful desires, the new life that you are to put on is built on the truth. We kind of hit on that last week, uh, but we just need to to recognize that. This this is why you remember, as we we said last week, that a a central tactic of Satan is to deceive us. A a central tactic of Satan and seeking to, to tempt us towards sin is to get us to believe a lie. This is what he did with Adam and Eve and it's what he does with you and me. Uh, If Satan can get you to believe something that is not true or in a a positive sense, if he can get you to not believe what is true or to, in a negative sense, believe something that is not true, uh, then the battle's won. The temptation that he's tempting you with uh, will be effective once you have believed a lie. And so I think Paul intentionally turns to this truth and falsehood right away in the first thing because it's central to our development as Christians. If you are going to grow as Christians, one of the first things you've got to do is put away all falsehood and become someone who believes and knows and embraces and speaks the truth. Corporately, if if we are going to grow collectively as, as a body of Christ, we must begin to speak the truth to one another. Now, this word falsehood. Therefore, having put away falsehood. This is a word. Uh, it's a word we should really be uh, very familiar with. It's the word "pseudo," uh, which we even use that word uh, in in the English language. It's kind of carried over from, from the Greek. And so, pseudo. You know, we say something is pseudoscience, It's false science. It's it's not real. Or or a pseudonym is a, a name that is fictitious. Sometimes authors use uh, pseudonyms. Uh, So it's something fake or false or pretend. In this way, it kind of is more than just talking about something that's an overt lie. Uh, And it kind of is a word that is broad enough to kind of encapsulate all kinds of deceit. Anything that is fake, anything that is untrue, anything that is false, not just uh, overt lies. And this is important because we know as sinners, you, you ought to know this. I'm sure that you do. You can lie or be false in some way if you want to put it that way without ever saying a word our actions can be deceptive we we can imply or suggest things intentionally uh, misleading people sometimes we can lie without saying a word like we can we can be deceptive by our silence we can allow people to think that we agree with them or that we think something is good just by sort of a, a nod of approval uh, rather than, than words. All of those things, and, and we're going to kind of dive into this deeper, but, but this word falsehood, it, it, it covers all of those kinds of things that we do. So let's just take a minute and think about this. Obviously, the first thing that we think of is, is an overt lie. When, when you knowingly tell someone something that is false, or inaccurate. That's what we need to put off this morning. He's saying, "Put that off." You know, as much as we like to, I think, pretend or sometimes ignore the reality. It really is true that we lie. Many of us we lie all the time. We lie, or we practice some form of deception. At many times in ways that we don't even think about. I, I'm convinced. After studying this, I've got to just confess to you that that I was convicted. As I began to get up here to preach, uh, one of the tensions that you feel sometimes as a preacher or teacher is that you you recognize, I'm not really in a place that I should be preaching this to other people because this is hitting me right between the eyes. There there are ways in which I practice deception, and as I studied and meditated on the Word of God, the, the Spirit of God just convicted me this week, and I've had to pray even last night and this morning as I prepared my own heart and I hope that God will do this same work in you this morning to just recognize that that we have so ingrained falsehood into the way that we communicate with people sometimes we don't even recognize it as sinful so what I want to do this morning is just dive into that a little bit deeper and and hopefully with some precision just point out some ways that we do that so that we can be made aware of it. Because if we're going to put it off, the first thing that we have to do is recognize that it's on us. Like we got to get rid of this, but if we don't even see it and we're not convicted about it, uh, then, then we won't do that. So let's just, just jump in and look and think about some of the ways that we practice falsehood, the, the overt lie. What about all the times that we just embellish Details of of stories, just to make them sound a little bit better, or whatever the reason is. We we take the truth and, and we just embellish it a little bit. It, it, it seems harmless. No one seems to be hurt by it, but it's a lie. It's falsehood. We lie sometimes because we want to spare people's feelings. We don't want to hurt them, and so we tell them things that we know are are true. I'm not talking about just opinions. Uh, but, but, you know, whether you like something or not, I mean, that's kind of an opinion. It's subjective, but, but we tell sometimes people things that we know are false because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We lie because we want to avoid conflict with our spouse. This is what we do sometimes just because we, we know, like if I tell my wife that, She's going to be angry, and I'm not even talking about having an affair or some great sin. I'm just talking about the little things in life that we do all the time, and we just say this little white lie because if I tell her that, she won't be mad. If I tell her the truth, she's going to be angry. We're going to be fighting tonight. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to say this little lie, and everything will run more smoothly. So We think we have good intentions, but, but we, we uh, are sinning in that. That is falsehood. Children, when, when you say and your parents ask you, you know, what happened at school or what uh, what what was going on at this or, th- or that, and you say, oh, nothing, nothing really happened, and something did happen, something you know that they would want to know, like, you know, I did get in trouble today. Uh, uh, the teacher did have to call me out and send me to uh, the office. Like, you know when your parents said what happened today, that's what they're asking, but you tell them nothing happened. That, that's a lie, and and children do that. I did that as a child. We lie when we fib about small details or, or excuses, you know, just, again, just to make things run a little more smoothly. So we show up late, and we say, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I just got into a little bit of traffic. There was no traffic, all right? That car in front of you that was going the speed limit does not count as as traffic. That's a lie, okay? Uh, and, and so we, we just come up with things like that, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just not feeling well, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it tonight, uh, when, when there's really nothing, nothing wrong with you, you're not sick, you, you don't feel well, maybe you don't feel like coming, but you don't want to tell that person that, so you say, I don't feel well, there's, uh, there's maybe something going around, I don't know, hopefully I'll be better tomorrow, But but when you say that, that's falsehood. And and sometimes again I think what we do is we just think you know these little white lies these little excuses and fibs they just kind of grease the wheels of life don't they they just make things with your employer or with your spouse or with your parents or with your neighbors whoever you're dealing with they just make this get rid of some of that friction because there's there's friction sometimes so if i just let say this little lie everything will go more smoothly we lie when we exaggerate the the truth <laughs> I, I laugh here because I, I've got a statement and it could read two different ways. I say, my wife always does this, not meaning that she always exaggerates the truth. That's what it just looked like just now when I look down. Uh, but it, it meant that, you know, when we say that, you know, we exaggerate, you know, my wife always does this or my husband always does that. Uh, that That's an exaggeration. When we exaggerate the truth, it's falsehood. It's not the the truth. You know, when you are angry because you've been waiting, you say, I've been waiting here like 30 minutes and it's really been like seven minutes. That, that's an exaggeration. It's, it's falsehood. What about intentionally misrepresenting the facts so as to lead people to believe something that is not true? It's not an overt lie, but it, it still falls into the category of falsehood. We can do this just by simply being selective with, with the details. We, we tell half-truths. What we say is true, but it's only half the truth, and it's only the part of the truth that we want people to know to lead them to believe and assume something that is not true. Like we're trying to create a picture of something that isn't true, and so we give this one detail that may, isolated by itself, lead someone to believe that that's a half-truth, and it's falsehood. And we do it all the time. We, we know politicians do this, right? Politicians are notorious about, I mean, we just came out of election season. How many commercials did you see? This man voted against a bill that would support veterans, okay? half-truth, right? They, they they voted against a bill that contained millions and billions of dollars worth of all kinds of stuff. One of those things happened to be something that would do something for veterans, but they voted because there was all this other stuff over here too, but we don't say that. They don't say that, right? They just tell you the little part of the truth that makes you think, man, this guy doesn't even care about veterans. He doesn't care about healthcare or whatever. And both sides do that all the time. Politicians do that, and we get tired of it, and we say, I'm so sick of of lying in the politicians and, and just all oh, be glad when election season is over so I don't have to deal with that. And yet we do the very same thing all the time in, in our own lives. Telling half-truths to paint uh, a picture in, in a certain way. You know, again, to use a, a, a picture or use an, a, something that might happen in our marriages. You know, your, your wife or your husband asks you, well, where have you been? You know, they, they're wanting to know what's going on. Why have you been gone so long? Well, I went to the store. You know, that that's true. Maybe you did go to the store, but you don't tell them the rest of the truth. And then I stopped by uh, my buddy's house and I talked to him for an hour and a half, right? Because you know that she would get mad about that. You were supposed to come right home. I've been waiting on you. Dinner's ready. The kids, all of this. You don't tell that part of the detail because you don't want her to know that. So you tell her the one thing, you know, I went to the store and there was there were long lines at Walmart. You've seen Walmart, haven't you? Like they, they've got one cash register open at six o'clock and it's like, you know, people standing for miles. Okay, that might've been true, but you didn't give her the rest of the truth. That's falsehood, right? Because we're leading her or leading him to believe something that, that isn't true. We're, we're practicing deception. We do this, I think, even sometimes in in a, the way that we present our image. I think we can be guilty of this when you look at things like social media, and we present an image of ourselves on social media that that really is a half truth. Now I know that's getting pretty deep and and pretty specific and. But, but isn't that true when, when we constantly just put our image of ourself out there that looks like everything's perfect and everything's wonderful all, all we do is travel all over the world and my husband and I we just everything's wonderful and perfect. We never put those images out there that you know show us fighting I mean isn't it a little bit deceptive? Hey you know we went to, Wherever We went out to eat or we went to holiday world today and you got this picture of you smiling with your family perfectly and you don't tell everybody, you know, really we fought all day long. The kids were horrible. They needed a nap like this is a false image that we're, we're putting out there about ourselves. Churches, not only social media do we do that, but churches are horrendous at this. We show up on Sunday and we look one way and we present an image of ourselves in church, our Sunday best that gives everybody the appearance of thinking, hey, they've got it all together when it's not really true. We're we're not being truthful in the way that we present our our image. We can even be guilty of falsehood when we intentionally misrepresent our, our feelings, when we pretend to be other than what we really are. We do this all the time, don't we? Is there something, you seem distant, you seem cold, I feel like there's something wrong. No, no, everything's fine. We're I'm I'm fine. Yeah, no, I've just been busy. I'm I'm sorry. Everything's good. Yeah, uh, that's deceptive. If you're really if you've been angry with this person or hurt by that person and you're telling them, no, everything's fine. And that happens in church life all the time. Like, I don't want to get into the mess of telling somebody, no, you know, when you said that to me two weeks ago, that really hurt. I've been struggling in that area. And you just said something that was really kind of cold and and careless. And that hurt. That's what you need to say, but you know every, everything's fine. That's deception. Sometimes when we give quiet assent or agreement to things that we know to be wrong or false, you know, we, we can give people the impression we think they're they're fine. You know, like they're off and they're running off and doing this, and and there's in all kinds of sin. And you're like, oh yeah, okay, good, yeah. Well, it's great to hear from you, and you're kind of nodding and giving them the impression that you're good with that, or maybe even you say things that might lead them to believe that you think what they're doing is good, uh, but it's not, that's falsehood. We practice deception when we flatter people. Uh, You know, flattery is a sin, and we do that all the time, I feel like. In Psalm 5, 9, it says, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Here, uh, the psalmist is. Is depicting people who are are wicked and vile. And one of the things he says about them is that they flatter with their their tongue. Sometimes we flatter because we're trying to be nice, but but ultimately that's not helpful. Proverbs 29, 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. When you tell somebody, oh yeah, that looks great, or that sounded great, or everything was wonderful, you know. And you're setting them up for destruction, right? You're setting them up to fail because now they think it was great, it was wonderful. And so flattery spreads a net for the feet of, of those who are being flattered. It'd be better for us just to tell them the truth, even if it's a hard truth sometimes, uh, than to allow them to believe something that isn't true. It's better to have a, a difficult conversation. Proverbs twenty eight twenty three says, whoever rebukes a man, will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So there's sometimes you just need to say, you know, no, you know what you're doing there? I love you, you know I love you, you know I care for you, but this way you're doing is wrong. Okay, it's better to do that. And what you will find is many times proverbs are things that, that are generally true. Many times people will appreciate that more than when you say, "Oh no, you go, girl, go on and do that. That's great. That's what you need to do." You know, and you encourage them in something you know is wrong and sinful, and and then later when their life falls apart, they're going to be thinking, "Where were all my friends who were encouraging me to do this and act in this way?" Uh, and so you're spreading a fee, a, a, a net. For their feet. It'd be better to tell them the truth, even if it's hard. Sometimes we can be deceptive in, in our actions. We practice falsehood. Anytime we intentionally try to lead someone to believe something that isn't true, even if it's in nonverbal ways. So we do this with our employers, right? Here comes the boss. Let me look like I'm working. Let me look like I'm I'm busy. We do this when we pass the police officer and we we slow down from 80 down to 55. And then after we're in the clear, we're hitting it and we're going again. That's that's falsehood. We're giving him the impression. Now, if you see the police officer and you slow down because you're reminded that there is a speed, a speed limit and you remain slow, then then I don't think that's falsehood. But when you when you intentionally slow down and then speed right back up, uh, this is this is practicing falsehood. When we carelessly say things that that are not. that, that, as if they are true when we're not certain that they are true. That's a form of, of falsehood. So gossip and slander fall into this category. You know, gossip and slander are wrong, one, because they're hurtful and damaging to people, but they're also it's also wrong because so often gossip and slander is built on half-truths and, and uncertain things. We're, we're not sure that these are true. And we even try to qualify that sometimes. So we say, you know, well, I, I'm not totally sure about this, but I'm pretty sure this, we, we present it as the truth, but, but it's not necessarily true. We're not certain that it is true. One of the difficulties we have with the truth is, is usually that it's an indicator that there's the presence of other sins. So, so falsehood or deceit is usually accompanied by other sins. In fact, usually the reason we're lying often is because there's some other sin that we're trying to cover up. So the reason that you try to deceive your boss is because you're being lazy. If you were working diligently and, and he knew that, then you wouldn't have to deceive him. So you're covering up this, this laziness by being deceptive. Uh, if, if man, if you weren't giving yourself to lust and, and pornography, uh, you wouldn't have to deceive your wife. You deceive your wife about what you're doing and where you're going and things like that because there's this other sin that you're trying to cover up. If we were not overcome by the fear of man, uh, and, and the fear of man is a sin, and that's what we give into when when we use flattery and tell people things because we don't want to hurt them. We're concerned about their opinion more than we are about God's opinion. The, the fear of man uh, leads us to, to uh, lie and, and uh, to, to say things that are not true. So, so falsehood is always almost always accompanied by some other sin that we don't want to to deal with. So we've got to put it off. That's what Paul is saying here. Put away all falsehood, all lies, anything that is deceptive. This morning, if you are a Christian, you are a person really, it says, you have put off falsehood. If you're a Christian, it cannot be said of you that that you are a liar or that you are deceptive. Someone who is given to falsehood is not given to Christ. You remember what Jesus said? He identified himself in John and he said, I am the way, what else? The truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're walking with Jesus, if Jesus is living in you, then you cannot be a person who is also walking and living in falsehood or deceit. Revelation 21.8 says that all liars will find their place in in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. So we need to, this morning, determine that when we see and when we recognize those things, that we need to put them off. We need to get rid of them. 1 Peter 3.10 says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. We need to put those things off this morning. And then secondly, we need to put on Christ we need to speak the truth Christ Jesus is the embodiment of the truth he is the way the truth and the life if you have uh, you have to put on Christ in order to overcome falsehood if you just decide well, I'm going to try to stop lying I'm going to stop trying to deceive people and you don't in a positive sense try to do anything to correct that you're going to find yourself right back telling the same lies and practicing the same deception and falsehood. What you need to do is not only put off that falsehood, but put on Christ. Once Christ fills you with his presence, there's no longer any room for falsehood. So that's what Paul says in Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see, he's saying, Don't let there be any room in your life. Don't make any provision for your old sinful flesh. And the way that you do that is by being sure to put on Christ. We've talked about this again. There's a sense in which we already have put on Christ in in salvation we've put him on but there's another sense in which this is an ongoing work which day in and day out we need to remind ourselves this morning I'm a Christian the spirit of Jesus Christ lives within me and I need to live like Christ is living in me I need to yield myself not, not, not only my mind and my heart but my lips and my tongue the things that I say I need to yield all of those things to Jesus Christ and so uh, we, we need to, to recognize this when we think about Jesus, we've said that he was the truth, he's the embodiment of the truth. Jesus did not shy away from speaking the truth. He didn't try to he didn't try to flatter people. He he didn't try to deceive people so that they would like him. In fact, when you look at his relationship with the Pharisees and Sadducees, one of the key things that's happening there is that he's telling them the truth and they don't like the truth. Jesus speaking the truth is ultimately what led to his crucifixion. This is in John 8:44. Let me just read in in verse 47. He says this, But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. He, He told the Pharisees, I'm telling you the truth and you won't receive it because you're not of God. And ultimately it was this religious group that was the catalyst that led to his crucifixion. But Jesus didn't shy away from that. He didn't say, you know, man, the Pharisees and Sadducees, I'm getting the vibe they don't really like what I have to say. Maybe I'll just try to, just try to distance myself and not tell them the truth anymore. Maybe I just will talk about other things than, than the things that seem to really upset them. Instead, because he was the truth, he, he, said, it, he said it in gracious ways and kind ways. He said it with, with love, but he spoke the truth and it led to his crucifixion. He he was a truth teller when it came to his relationship with his disciples, right? He didn't sugarcoat uh, or minimize the danger of what it meant when he called them. He didn't say, hey, guys, come and call me. It's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. No, he said, come and follow me, but take up your cross and follow me like you're laying down your life if you want to come and follow me. He didn't sugarcoat it. What, What was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem? Throughout the gospels, he's telling them leading up to his crucifixion. We're going to Jerusalem, guys, and I'm going to die I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be betrayed and then I'm going to be crucified. He told them that he, he didn't flatter them. He didn't flatter even his disciples. Not only did he not flatter the scribes and Pharisees, he didn't flatter his own disciples. He, he told them things like, oh, ye of little faith. He, he, he uh, was, was bold. He told Peter, one of his closest disciples, when, when Peter was acting wrongly, he said, get behind me, Satan. He, he told them at other points, you are slow of heart. The interesting thing is, despite all of that, his disciples loved him. He spoke the truth in love and, and with grace. So we need to be careful that we speak the truth wisely and with grace and, and with love. You know, sometimes we think, well, I I speak the truth and people get mad. A lot of times what's happening there is we're just being opinionated and and we're we're asserting our opinion as if it were the truth. That's not what we're talking about here. And we're not talking about being jerks. We're not talking about saying a truth in, in, in an intentionally hurtful and damaging way. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about just saying everything that pops in your mind. Well, I just tell the truth, whatever I think, it comes out. The Bible says only a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. There are some things that you think that you probably shouldn't say. That's not what we're talking about. We need to speak the the truth, but we need to do it with grace. Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person you need to season your words you've got to speak the truth and sometimes that's hard and sometimes that's difficult you need to do it in a way that's seasoned to make it more palatable for the person that you're you're telling it to Uh, but you need to speak the truth you need to be sure that the way that you the way that you say the truth, especially if it's a hard truth for someone to hear, is is a, you say it in a way that builds them up rather than tears them down. Ephesians four twenty nine, which we will get in later in this series, our speech should be uh, should give grace to those who hear it. So when you speak the truth, you need to speak it in a way that ministers grace to them. And earlier in in Ephesians chapter four verse fifteen, it says that we are to speak the truth. In love so there's a lot of kind of safeguards there there are a lot of things that we need to understand we're not just talking about blurting out everything that you think or saying it in, in hurtful and demeaning ways but after all of those kind of safeguards we recognize we still must speak the truth after all these cautions he, are heeded, we must still speak the truth and sometimes it's going to be difficult it's hard to tell the truth sometimes isn't it it's it's so much easier just to tell that little fib and move on with life and not have to deal with this but we need to remember that we don't belong to ourselves anymore we don't get to do what's easy for our flesh and what's easy for our sinful nature we we've been bought by christ and so we are to glorify god paul says in 1 corinthians 6 19 and 20 we are to glorify god with our body including our mouth And our tongue with the things that we say. We belong to him. Your mouth belongs to the Lord. Your tongue belongs to the Lord. And so you ought to use it in a way that glorifies him. And when you practice deception and falsehood. That does not bring him glory. We are Paul says in Romans 6 13. To present our members. The members of our body. As instruments of righteousness. We need to remember once more. What we've seen, as Paul said in Galatians 3.20, that we've been crucified with Christ. Our old flesh has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we need to put off falsehood, and we need to put on Christ. We need to allow Christ to live in us and to speak through us. And so you need to be asking yourself, as you're speaking, as those thoughts come to your mind, as you're confronted with that situation where telling the truth would be difficult, you need to be thinking, what would Christ say in this moment? How would Christ respond? I need to respond in a way that's gracious, in a way that's kind, but in a way that is truthful. Now, the third thing that we see, and we'll run through this very quickly, is that he gives us the reason. So put off falsehood, speak the truth with your neighbor, And then the reason, for we are members one of another. Now this is maybe I think seems like a strange thing. I would maybe say, well, because lying is not loving. You know, when we practice deception or falsehood, it's not a loving thing. Why does he say, for we are members one of another? We know that word members, it it points us back to what Paul's already been talking about. It's talking about body parts. He's saying, we're members one of another. He's reminding us of this analogy that he's used as a church, we are a body. We are all various parts of that body. And that's what he's saying here, don't lie to each other because we're members, we're part of the same we're part of the same body. And so it just doesn't make sense that we would practice falsehood with one another. One person, Chrysostom, uh, a church father, said, Would the eye see a a poisonous snake and not tell the foot to take a step in that direction? Would the the nose smell something that would be deadly and not tell tell the mouth to ingest it? And, And it's a good reminder that if we have genuine care for one another, we're going to speak the truth because we're members of the same body. But it's also important because truth is the means by which we grow. Go back to Ephesians 4.15 again. Ephesians 4.15, do you remember this? Where Paul's talking about growing in in Christ and he's saying together we corporately are a body of Christ and the goal is that all of us collectively as a body grow up into the image of Christ. Christ is the mature man and we are to grow up into that maturity. And notice what he says here. In verse 14, he says, We don't want to be tossed around by waves of doctrine, by human cunning, that's deception, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Instead, listen to verse 14 rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So the goal for us collectively is a body is that we grow up into Christ. He's the mature man. He's the pattern that we're seeking to follow. All of us as a corporate body should collectively be growing up into Christ. Okay, how does that happen? Verse 15 says that it happens when we speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, you are to grow up into Christ. One of the ways that corporate collective maturity and sanctification happens is that when we begin to speak the truth to one another this is one of the great ailments of the modern church is that we have become so nice that we don't want to say anything that would offend anyone in any way and so when we see that brother or sister in sin when we hear somebody espouse some belief that is not biblical when we see something that's wrong I don't want to offend him Jesus would want me to be nice, and so I'm not saying the truth to them. I'm not going to tell them the truth. I'm going to allow them to continue in that sin. That man's having an affair and running off on his wife. That's okay. I The the, the most important thing right now is that I just be nice to him. No, that man needs to hear the truth. That that person is, is, is embezzling money at his work, and I know there's rumors that this guy is is taking all kinds of money. Everybody kind of knows it. He's a member of the church. We go to church together. Uh, But the key thing for me, I'm supposed to love everybody and not judge anybody. I'm not supposed to say anything to him. No, the way that maturity happens, the way that this brother or this sister comes to the realization that they need to deal with their sin. is when other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ say, you know, that's not that's not exactly right. You shouldn't be living in that way that's that's not something that's not what christ would want you to do and so we by speaking the truth in love are to grow up into christ jesus said in john 17 sanctify them that's that process that we're talking about this spiritual growth but how do how do how are we sanctified in that prayer does anybody remember john 17 sanctify them in the truth exactly right in the truth the truth is what leads us to grow in Christ. I need to hear the truth. I needed to study this word and see that, you know, there's a lot of ways, if I'm being honest, that I've been deceiving people. I've been flattering people. I've been telling people half-truths just to make life a little bit easier. And I needed to be convicted by that. And and sometimes there are ways in which I need a brother or sister who I know loves me in a very gracious and in a kind way just tell me that they see that in my life so that I'll grow up into Christ, who is the head. You see, our growth as a church is dependent upon us, all of us, not just from the pulpit, but all of us in community groups, in Sunday school classes, in the relationships we have outside of these walls to begin to speak truth to one another. This means we need to call out sin sometimes. This means also, another sort of application of this, is that I don't think we're being truth-tellers in the fullest sense of of what we're called to do uh, when, when we allow our speech to be full of frivolous things. When we meet together and all we talk about is hunting or shopping or clothes or cars or jobs or football, I don't think we're obeying this command to speak the truth to one another because there's truth that we're leaving unsaid part of being those who speak the truth means that we don't leave truth unspoken and when I give you the impression that all that matters is football and baseball and hunting and sports and clothes and cars and jobs and that's all there is to it when that's all I talk about with people in church, I'm not speaking the truth to them. There are greater truths than those things. There's more than this material world, this physical world. There's eternity. There's Jesus Christ. There's a savior. There's so much more. There's heaven. There's hell. And when I just act as if those things don't exist in my conversation within the body of Christ and even outside of this community, aren't we, when we do that, are we not practicing a subtle form of deception? When I fail to share the gospel with people that I work with, when I believe that the guy who's next to me on, on this line or the guy that's on the same shift as me or, or the mom whose kids are in, this, in school with my kids, when, when I just day after day see them and have relationships with them and fail to tell them that I believe that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation, that, that without him and apart from him, they are doomed for an eternity in hell, Is that not falsehood? I believe those things, but I'm leading them to believe. I think they're okay. I think everything's fine with them. I think the way that you're living your life is just just fine. That is subtle deception. We need to speak the truth in love. It's crucial not not only for our growth in terms of spiritual growth, it's crucial also in our ability to reach the community. We need to be sure that we are speaking truth the truth. We need to do it in love and graciously and kindly. We need to do it like Christ. People were drawn to Christ, not pushed away from him uh, typically by the things that he said. And so we need to be gracious like Christ was, but we need to speak the truth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. I pray that you would help us to continue to develop, to develop in this way as a church. Lord, I just, again, I confess to you that I was convicted by your word this morning And and I just want to repent of that. I want to ask, Lord, that you would forgive me and forgive all of us for the subtle ways that we practice deception. Help us to put that away and uh, help us to put on Christ and to be those who speak the truth in love. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.